0: You know, there's a lot going to happen in our church in the next couple years. Actually, there's a lot that's gone on in our last couple years and how we've grown and changed uh, from different, different moving and building and places and things going on. And I just want to forewarn you that we're not done, okay? Um, and and the, what you're going to hear uh, actually on May 5th, so mark your calendars about, what was that, four weeks from today maybe, uh, you would not want to miss that service, okay? And leading up to that service, we want to prepare Uh, for what's going to be shared about the future of our church. Uh, God's given us a little more direction. As God gives us direction to the leadership, we want to share that with you. So May 5th, we're going to share that with you about the future and direction of this church. And uh, in the meantime, uh, God sort of laid on my heart as, hey, you know what, we need to make sure everybody's on the same page as we understand what the church is about. Why do we exist? Why are we here? What's our mission for this church? Uh, For the church globally and locally and in us in particular. So when I use the word church during the next few weeks, please understand this. Uh, I'm not talking about a building, okay, brick and mortar. I'm talking about the church body, believers in Jesus Christ who share the same faith. And uh, we have a common belief we gather together in unity to worship one and only one true Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that's the church. So when I throw that word out there, you know, you're already understanding where I'm going with that, okay? So with that being said, with a little anticipation for what's going to happen over the next few weeks, let's, let's do this. Let's answer some questions, okay? Why is the church important? I want you to think about that. Why is the church important? Answer that question. This is this is, some, this is a lunchtime conversation, maybe. We'll answer some of it today, but this is something to talk about at lunch and at home. Your friends throughout the week, okay. Number two, what does it mean to grow as a church? What does it mean to grow as a church? Now, understand. I've been doing a, a ministry and pastoral position for over twenty years. Okay, been to enough leadership workshops, pastoral seminars, this and that, and everything. And, and that's my profession. Okay, that's what I'm supposed, supposed to be a pro at, right? So I hear a lot of things and. It's amazing what's going on in this world and changes and everything. And I'm going to share some of those things with you as we talk about and answer some of these questions. Because when I say, how does the church grow? Or how do we define growth in the church? um, Does that mean we have church growth if we have more people here? Are we experiencing church growth if our offerings go up? Are we experiencing church growth if we've got more programs? Are we experiencing church growth if we're building more buildings and adding on and, and buying more buildings and add, increasing our, our acreage? Is that church growth? Maybe we have multiple campuses and we go and we plant new churches. Is that church growth? I want, I want us to chew on these questions. I want us to think this through. Okay? See, before Jesus ascended into heaven, remember, we just celebrated this last week, right? Jesus spoke to his disciples and he was out of here. I want you to think about all the red letters in the Bible. The red letters are the words that Jesus spoke. And some of the last ones he spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he gave a command. We're supposed to do what? Go and make disciples, right? In those verses, I don't think we ever heard Jesus say, and as I leave, go, start Sunday school. Make sure GPS is running good. And plant churches everywhere you go. I want you to make sure that vacation Bible school is top notch. Get the best curriculum out there because we want little kids there. Now, did Jesus say that? No, because none of that was really happening, right? What Jesus says: go make disciples. But here's the thought, and here's the deal: as we disciple people, as we make disciple, guess what happens? Churches are naturally formed. Programs get naturally started. Churches get planted. Those kind of things will naturally happen. And I want you to think about this. Let's say, we're just going to throw a number out there. Let's say there's 175 people here today. Okay? What if if each and every one of us discipled one person this year? We took our faith, we took God's word, We sat down with somebody who doesn't belong to this church. They don't go to church anywhere. And we shared our faith with them, and we discipled them and raised them up through God's Word and let God's Spirit work through them. Wouldn't that be incredible? Then we'd have, what, 350 people worshiping God here at True North. And then let's say the next year then, all 350 of us say, let's go disciple one more person. Let's go find another person out in the community that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And we go and disciple just one. What's that church look like now in two years? There's 700 of us. You get the picture, right? Okay. Now, I'm sharing that with you because when I think about this, the church is the bride of Christ. The church reflects God's glory. We should consider the value and the mission of the church. If Jesus said before he left, he goes, I'm leaving. I got one more thing to say. Go make disciples. And we're like, oh, okay, I'll think about that. That's for the spiritually elite people, right? No, no, no. that was for all of us. If we value the commands of Jesus Christ, we say, I'm going to go disciple somebody. What happens to the church naturally? It grows, right? We need to consider that. And then you think about this. Does God want the church to get bigger and to grow and to expand, as Kathy was talking about these kids? Do you think God really wants that, to get bigger and grow? I'd say yes and no. I believe he wants as many people that don't know him to know him. I believe God wants as many people to get to heaven as possible. I think that's the kind of growth that he wants. He wants us to share his commands with this world and to grow. And we need to understand that growth is not necessarily about a larger or newer building. It's not about the latest program. Okay? It's not about going out and planting churches. But here's the deal— as we grow in Christ, our faith should be so contagious that more and more people come to know Jesus Christ. As more and more people come to know Jesus Christ, well, we're going to have to start another program for that, or we're going to have to get a different building, or we're going to have to go plant a church now because it's getting crowded in here. That's good. That's good. And sometimes, you know, we don't know how to take that, and well, I don't want to expand. I like, I like having a small church. And I understand that. I like small churches too. You know why? Because I like getting to know people. And if it's a larger church, then I don't know people. So what do we do? Let's just have a little holy huddle. Okay? Let's just have our own little holy huddle. This is our own little group. This is so fun, isn't it? I love when our church gets together. We know everybody in that. You know what? Do you really think that honors God? I don't think it does. I think it's awesome to come together in small groups. To know each other the way we know each other, I think it's incredible. I think that honors God, I really do. I He wants us to. You're, we're going to find this out as we read in, in Acts in a little bit. How that really is honoring to God, but it doesn't stop there. It continues from there, and that's where the growth comes. Okay? Now, um, I want you to think about this. As a child, as a child, you grow, right? And as you grow, you have to get the next size clothing. Now, this past couple Halloweens, I've enjoyed dressing up for fun, okay? And I've taken my, my youngest son's football jerseys. You know, they get those little helmets and football jerseys. And they put them on with the little pads and everything. I have tried the last two years putting on that little football jersey and squeezing it. In, and I'm like, I mean, it, that's all it goes. And I'm going to tell you, it hurts. It aches. I'm like, okay, and you're sitting there then why did you do it? Because it's fun. Okay? I I can't say but it's just fun. And it might not be so intelligent of me. I understand that. But when you throw on a wig and and messed up clothes and really tight thing, it makes the kids laugh. And I have fun with the kids. They're going to come to my door. They're going to earn it. Okay? You're going to trick-or-treat my place. You're going to earn it. So anyway, I put that on, and and then I take it off. and I'm like, oh, I can breathe again. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? What if we as adults said, Let's just wear little kids clothes. Let's be like little kids, okay? Now, I understand there are actually some people we need to carefully approach and encourage them to buy the next size larger. I understand that, okay, but we're not going there today. But seriously, think about this. Don't we sometimes sit there and go, why would I ever consider wearing that? I'm going to wear something that I feel comfortable in, right, because I am not that size. Uh, guys, when we, you know, we, we go and put on those jeans, like, oh, really? I'm going from 34 to 36? I don't like that thought. But i hey, I'm expanding, you know, okay? As little kids, we get taller, right? And as adults, it, we, maybe we're not growing up, we're growing out, okay? But we're still, we still grow in life. And as we grow, we got to change the clothing. Doesn't that make sense? Okay, maybe I spent too long time on that one. I, I apologize, okay? But if we really think this through, as we change, as we grow, We've got to move into the next stage. Now, our faith in Christ, let me ask you this. Our church is six years old, a little over six years, right, Dan? Is that right, a little over six years now? Now, as a six-year-old or seven-year-old, let's say, do you think our faith is going to stay at an immature little child's age? Or should we grow? We should probably grow, shouldn't we? We should grow in our faith. Just as a little child's going to grow, our church is going to grow. You want to see a young man light up? Aiden, if I were to come to you and i say, Aiden, you look like you've grown over the sun, like an, an inch. You see, he's sitting here pumping his fist. okay? <laughs> you want to make a young man feel good about himself? And, and do this with truthfulness, okay? Don't say it to flatter people. But with truthfulness, if you see a, a child growing, and they look taller, they look stronger, especially boys, tell them, oh, man, you'll see their chins lift up, their shoulders go back. You'll see a smile on their face like, because those little boys probably at home somewhere in a closet have a little mark where they stand and their parents mark the little ruler and as they get taller, they get excited about growing. Children love to grow. As adults, as adults, we sort of lose that. We're like, I'm here, I've arrived, right? Let me tell you something. In our faith, we should have the little spiritual closet that we walk into and say, God, am I growing? If you were to mark me today, God, am I closer to you than I was yesterday? Or am I still wearing the same clothes spiritually that I've been wearing? We want to grow spiritually. We should have that desire to grow. Matter of fact, we're gonna show a video here, and you'll sort of enjoy the humor of this video, but I want you to think through the implications of this spiritually too, okay? Let's go ahead and watch this video. Like I said, a little fun there with that, but aren't we like that sometimes in our faith? Don't we sometimes sort of say, I, don't, I sort of like it. I'm really comfortable here. And the thing is, as I've uh, been studying and learning this, in our faith, we, we sort of get to a, a spot where we're comfortable. And when we don't want to move beyond that level of comfort spiritually, maybe where we're broken, we revert back and we just stay there, sort of like he was doing. Why would I ever want to leave T-Ball? Why would I ever want to leave kindergarten? It's so comfortable. I'm, so, I'm good at what I'm doing here. But God says, that's not growth. That's not good. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. See, the church is like a child. We're created to grow and to mature in life. And uh, sometimes we get those hosts of excuses that keeps us from moving forward. Acts chapter two. And I believe God's using his church all around the world to transform lives, accomplishing his will on earth, and in many ways, many places. The church is really healthy and focused. And fulfilling God's mission. It really is. It's incredible to see a lot of the things that are happening around the globe with the church, okay? And I, and I want you to know this. I'm not here this morning to say that everything's great and everything's horrible. I want you to understand there are some great things happening in church and there are some other places where the church is just a mess. Um, there's many churches today that focus on numbers, the offerings, the acreage, uh, the programs, And, and those are good things, but those don't determine growth, okay? Make sure you hear me on that. Those are good things. That's a byproduct of what's going on with growth, but that's not how you determine growth, okay? So what should the church look like? How do we know if we're a healthy church? How do we know if True North is going in the direction God wants us to go, I mean, if we can't answer these questions biblically, we're only going to be adding to the confusion of what's going on around us. So we need to understand our identity, our role in this world. If not, we are bound to be confused and paralyzed as well in our faith and we'll be stunted in our growth, and we don't want that. We want to be a healthy church. We want to be a growing church. And when Jesus ascended to the Father, he left one group in place. It was his disciples. And with those handful of believers, he said, we're going to start something here, okay? And, and if, we, uh, if we don't do everything that we can to understand this, then we're not taking the mission of Jesus very seriously. So as we look back at the early church, we look back at the book of Acts, there's a lot here said about the church. I don't remember last week. Actually, look on the front of your, your bulletin, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, I believe is on the front of your bulletin, where Peter says, this is, he describes the church as this, He says we are a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, we are a people of his own possession. That's how the church is described by Peter. Paul describes the church as a pillar of truth, a temple of the Holy Spirit. He says that we are the body of Christ, and last week we sort of shared this too, we're the bride of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful illustration uh, that Jesus gave us? But we're going to look at what another person, Luke, says in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Now, as you are there in Acts chapter 2, let me just share with you in chapter 1, if you were to back up to that, that portion, uh, we know that now there's 120 believers gathered together. And this is at the time of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes, Okay. And it's at that point in time where uh, we read in, in second, uh, the second chapter of Acts where Peter stood up and he preached this incredible message. I mean, the Holy Spirit just came upon him and he just delivered it. And it said over 3,000 people came to know the Lord. Isn't that incredible? If all of a sudden, 3,000 people are like, I believe, I believe. And then where did it start with? With Jesus talking to his disciples and then to 120 and then to 3,000. Talk about that's that's maybe called that church growth. That was numbers, right? But were they spiritually mature? Were they really growing? There is nothing so attractive and yet intriguing about those first believers and, and the birth of this new group. So you've got this young church. So what are they going to do to grow? So Acts chapter 2, turn to uh, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and let's read there. These are the people who believed with Peter. They were baptized or added to the church. It says in verse 42 they joined with the other believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. Verse 43 A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together constantly, sharing everything they had. They sold their possessions, they shared the proceeds with those in need, they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, the Lord added to those who were being saved. Every day, more people came to know Jesus Christ as the risen Savior. What an incredible thing. That's the early church. So when you characterize the first church, because that's where we got to start, okay? The very first church, what stands out? As I read that scripture... Look at verse 43. What stands out? What characterizes the church? When we say, are we a healthy church or not? Are we a growing church? Well, let's look at the first church. What were they doing to grow? And as you look there, the first thing you see is Luke tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Let me hear you say biblical teaching. One more time. Biblical teaching. Are we teaching from the Bible? Are we teaching God's Word? Do we meet in small groups and study God's Word? Do you, as an individual, open up the Bible every day and read it? Biblical teaching was one of the first things that they devoted themselves to. They had this deep commitment to what the apostles taught. And what did the apostles teach? What was prophesied in the Old Testament that came true through Jesus and into the New Testament. That's what they were teaching. It was later recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was all written down. And that is what we have in the New Testament. That's the apostles' teachings. They were devoted to it. Are we devoted to it? Are we reading God's Word? Are we saying, God, as your Spirit spoke to these apostles back a couple thousand years ago, God, your same Spirit is in me. Open my eyes to what I see Open my eyes to what I'm reading. Lord, speak to me. Bible study is a priority in the church, and it should be. I mean, we should be hungry every day to read and learn about God's word. And if you wake up and you don't care about God's word, you might want to ask yourself, God, do I really believe in you? Because if we really believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and his spirit indwells us, there should be a natural yearning and hunger for his word. When you read a verse in scripture somewhere, it should like, wow. I need to hear that today. Or if you're feeling empty, let me give you a reason why. Because you're not filling up on his word. As a believer in Christ, we need to make sure we have devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to biblical study. Secondly, Luke also said that the early church was devoted to fellowship. Let me hear you say fellowship. Now those of you that grew up as a, as a child in, a, in one of the churches that you had a fellowship hall, how many of you had a fellowship hall growing up? Yeah, a lot of you. Okay. Yeah, Fellowship Hall is what? It's where you met for all the potlucks and the dinners and, hey, this group is mean. where we Fellowship Hall, where else would we meet, right? That's where we all fellowship. It means the common participation in God is what fellowship means. And the first Christians shared their lives with one another, but it wasn't about church picnics. It wasn't about a fellowship hall. They shared their common participation in worshiping God. They were real people meeting real needs fulfilling the needs through a real mission. They weren't meeting because they had to. All right, guys, we're going to try to get our community groups going. You know, we tried that. Some of the community groups are still going. Some of the groups, are uh, not meeting, okay? It wasn't supposed to be a forcing. It was like, we want to give you opportunity. We want you to meet real needs. But here's the deal. Some of you already have community groups. Yesterday, I, I was part of a community group. We met out at Biddle Park. There's a whole congregation together sharing a common participation together. It was called a sport, baseball. But the reason we're there is for God. We pray together as a team. We open up God's word together as a team. We encourage one another as a team. We share things as a team. We share something together common. That's fellowship. That's like a little church. We see that a lot. You know, we meet together because maybe there's a felt need. In the biblical time back here in Acts chapter 2, they shared their lives because in Christ... Everything was in common. They truly loved each other. They truly cared about each other. When somebody drops off some cookies at our house, I don't sit there and say, Oh, that was nice. You know what I you know what I think? They love me. Thank you. That's common participation in God, because the church body, when you love each other and you take care of each other, you look out for each other, you pray for each other, that's love. That's love. That's fellowship you deeply care about God and his mission on earth so you join together with other people and you do it together in the same goal, that's fellowship let's look at the third thing, okay let's look at the third thing this is the breaking of bread, let me hear you say breaking of bread now this could be a couple different things it could be the Lord's Supper, which it obviously probably was because they were celebrating communion as a body of believers but they also shared meals together, they ate together So when it talks about them breaking bread, it was sort of both. It was communion and having lunch together. It was communion and having supper together. Christians took the Lord's Supper as part of the larger shared meal. And they did this because they wanted to express their faith in their Lord Jesus Christ. When we have communion here, guess what we're doing? We're expressing our common faith in Jesus Christ, in what he did, his sacrifice for us. The bread became a reminder of his broken body and the wine became a reminder of his, his blood that was shed. That celebration is a reminder of that new covenant. When he passed that cup forward, he said, this is my covenant with you. Take it. Drink it. Remember we talked about last week how the groom would sort of take that bottle or that glass of wine across the table to his bride-to-be and say, take this covenant and drink it. And if she did, yep, okay, we're going to get married in a year. Awesome, okay? And as Jesus took that cup and passed it to us, it was a new covenant saying, we're the bride of Christ." I accept. I place my faith in you. You're going to come back and take me to your place someday, Jesus. Until then, I'm going to be a bride of of purity. Right? So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's a part of it. That's a part of it. And taking communion, we proclaim his sacrifice and our life together as a church. So that was a part of the early church. So what do we have so far? We have biblical teaching. We have fellowship. And we have the breaking of bread. And here's the fourth thing if you look in Acts chapter to verse 43. We have the devotion to prayer. Let me hear you say devoted to prayer. How many of you have a... No, I'm not going to do this, okay. I want you to think about this. Don't raise your hands. How many of you have a journal that you write your prayer request? How many of you have a specific prayer time? How many of you have a place you like to go and pray and get along with God? How many of you say, prayer is a priority in my life? How many of you could answer that and honestly say, oh yes, 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 yes. Or how many of you, well I pray at night when I go to bed and I sometimes doze off and I wake up and I go, Amen, and then go back to sleep, you know? How many of you that's your prayer life? Which we all have different kinds of prayer lives, but the disciples said, No, 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 no. Devotion to prayer. As we come together as a church, we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray for the sick and those are hurting, and quite honestly, I don't think that corner's the bad corner to sit. That's recovery row back there, okay? you never sat back there until you got injured now you're back there and we're praying for you so we know where to pray right but are we devoted to praying for those that are hurt and those that are sick and those that are hurting are we devoted to praying for those who are struggling in their marriage and and struggling with with different emotional issues are we devoted to praying for them are we devoted to praying for the future of our church where are we going God what are we going to do are we devoted to praying for people to come to know Jesus as their Savior Lord I really want to talk to my neighbor but I don't know what to say are you praying about it are you praying for boldness? Are you praying for courage? Are we devoted to that? To say that prayer was important to these early Christians would be a gross understatement. Think about when Peter, and this is later in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were released from prison. Now, why were they in prison? Because they, they hijacked a camel, okay? And, and then they, they ripped out the stereo. No, they didn't, okay. You know why they're in prison? They're in prison because they love Jesus well i don't want anybody to laugh at me so i'm not going to talk about jesus are you serious back in those days you talk about jesus you get beaten you get thrown in jail so that's where they are they're in prison because they love jesus so peter and john get released from prison what did they do next they gathered back with the church body and prayed for boldness to go share him even more Isn't that incredible you just got out of prison for talking about Jesus. Yes, let's go pray together that we'll be even more bold and more people will come to know our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Now pray about that. That's incredible. Prayer was the church's means of receiving strength and guidance from their, from their Savior, from our Lord. They depended on intimate communion with the one in whom they put their trust in. And, and sadly, I, I'm going to say our churches aren't typically characterized by our devotion to prayer people talked about true north what would they characterize us by would it be our biblical teaching would it it be our fellowship would it be our breaking of bread together would it be our devotion to prayer would it be that we have such a love for God that it's just spilling out by how we love others how would people know our church and again it's not so that we can brag about us because it's not us we're part of a bigger picture here in the church. Have we lost the urgency of our mission in the sense that, you know, God doesn't work through us well, we're not going to be able to do this? I mean, really, we ought to step back sometimes and say, if we're not, if something isn't happening, is God's Spirit really working through us? Have have we really spent time in prayer about this? A church that's devoted to prayer is a church that knows God's mission is the most important mission on this earth. A church knows that it cannot succeed without God. But here's the deal. If you look at the early church and all them who embraced God's spirit, they knew this. Their sins had been forgiven. We just sang Amazing Grace, right? We we, we have sin-stained lives. There's only one person that can clean that up. There's only one person that can forgive us. And basically the church is a body of believers that has figured that out we've all sort of figured out you know what we've all messed up but we've all figured out that god's grace is so big for us that he loves us that he forgives us and we all understand that we've been freed from sin we've been forgiven of sin and so being redeemed being bought with a price we've come together now and say thank you god for loving us thank you for forgiving us he's pulled us out from darkness and removed us and separated us from sin and said i'm going to give you my spirit now to go live in a victorious life So God takes those who he's redeeming and he joins us together in one body. We are a group of forgiven people that's been brought together to go live for him now. That's the church. But here's the problem. We like doing things on our own. Okay? I'll admit, I'm very independent. I could be a loner at times. I get that, okay? How many of you could describe yourselves that way? How many of you could describe, don't raise your hand. How many you describe your spouse or family member that way? You know, you're sort of like, you know what? I didn't show home from work today. They'd probably be okay because they're always doing things on their own. They never include me on anything, you know? They're very independent. Not that that's a bad thing or a good thing. I'm just saying, right? When it comes to a job, I'll meant I'd rather do it on my own and get it done, right? Instead of, I probably should call for help and get this done. I know I really need to get up and put those Christmas lights up, and I know it's a really tall... Roof, and I know my short little ladder they can go to do it. But if I put my ladder on top of about five boxes, and uh, reach really high, and on one leg, I might be able to get that last one on there instead of calling for help. Right? I'll do it myself. Gentlemen, anybody ever find themselves hanging from an eaves before hanging lights? Not saying I have once or twice, but when we try to do things on our own, we get ourselves in trouble, right? Exercise, I'd rather exercise on my own. I don't want to go to the gym and exercise around everybody. It's weird, right? Eat alone, I'd rather eat alone. I'd rather get my lunch and go home and eat instead of eating with a group of people. Why is that? Because we like doing things on our own sometimes. Sometimes. The problem is that individualism is actually widely celebrated in our culture. We tend to think of ourselves as being self sufficient and independent. You've got to learn to do this on your own. When we start thinking that way and it trickles into the church, what do we become then? We are no longer that church that is dependent upon the Spirit of God who comes together. We're like, I'll just do this on my own. So we've got to be careful and guard against that, you know, because you know, a lot of times as Christians we adopt that individualistic mindset and we say, hey, you're not pastor. You are not going to tell me how to spend my money. I know you said I should give a percentage back to God, but you know what? It's my paycheck. I, Pastor, I know you're telling me what I should do with my time and I should give my time up with God and Bible study or, or my own prayer time or I should be doing this, but it's my time. You know what? I've got to, I'm going to use my time as I see, I see fit. See, that's that individualistic mindset and saying, oh, you know what? Did you notice that the first Christian converts in Acts chapter 2, they did not do that? They weren't individualistic. They came together. They didn't make a profession of faith and seek to live their Christian life on their own. They're like, I believe in Jesus. Then they're off on their own little camp, their own little trip, their own little whatever it might be. When they proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ, what did they do? Then they came together as we have come together this morning. Jesus said this in John chapter 13. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another you want the world to know that you are part of a church you want the world to know that you have faith in Jesus Christ then how are you doing with loving one another and not just loving yourself we can all do good at loving ourselves I'm good at that but how are we at loving others Jesus said that's how people will know you're part of this church that's how they know turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 1 Corinthians chapter 12 You're in Acts, just go past Romans, and you're right there at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about different spiritual gifts, because here's the deal. We have all, all of us have incredible gifts that have been given to us, okay? Special talents, special gifts, and then God says, when you surrender your life to me, guess what? I'm giving you my Holy Spirit, and you're going to have more gifts, and your gifts are going to be more in tuned to serve me. Look what he says in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse starting in verse 4. Now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit who's the source of them all, verse 5. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it's the same Lord we're serving. There are different ways God works in our lives, but it's the same God who does the work through all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Did everybody read? You might want to underline that last one, verse 7. Did you see that? A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Do me a favor. I want you to raise your hand if God has given you a spiritual gift. Raise your hand. Oh, okay, hands back down. Let me read this again. A spiritual gift has been given to each of us so we can help each other. Now, if, if God's giving you a spiritual gift, would you please raise your hand? Okay, if the person next to you is not raising your hand, can you reach over, grab their hand, lift it up? Come on, everybody's hands up. Everybody's hands up. Okay, thank you. You all have a spiritual gift. Do you understand that? If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he's given you his Holy Spirit, he's given you a gift. Do you see what he said with that? So we can what? Help each other. Help each other skip down to verse 12 the human body has many parts but the many parts make up what one body so it is with the body of christ some of us are jews some gentiles some slaves some free but we've all been baptized into christ's body by one spirit and we've received the same spirit verse 14 yes the body has many different parts not just one part i mean if the foot says i'm not a part of the body because i'm not a hand well that doesn't make it any less of a part of the body and if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye. Oh, well, then they'd never hear. Or if your whole body were just one big ear, how could you smell anything? Verse 18. But God made our bodies with many parts, and he's put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye yeah, can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Do you hear what Paul is doing here? I love it. When we look at the body of Christ, a lot of different parts, a lot of different gifts. And we can't and we dare not say to each other, I, we don't need your gift, I'm sorry. And, and we, we should not look at other people and say, I wish I had their gift. Because the ear doesn't want to say, what? Well, I wish I was the nose, you know. I wish we were all one big eyeball. No, it's it's, it's sort of freaky, isn't it? A little weird. But how many times has the church body said, I wish I had that spiritual gift that that person has. I wish I could sing like them, and that's okay. I get it. I wish I could sing like the, and have the talents of the worship team. But you know what? That's not my gift. Praise God that he gave that gift to somebody else. The gift that you've been given is a gift that God's given you to help each other, to make the body function properly. If you're the foot of this church, and I don't have you, I don't like hopping around on no other foot, okay? That puts all the pressure on the other leg. We need that other foot, right? Think that through with that, that whole body picture. You know, when we talk about, just like the kids up here, you know, which is, you know, bigger, or taller, which one do you want to be? Let me ask you this. If it was coming to Candy, okay? I'll pick on Trent. Trent, if it was coming to Candy... We're talking about candy here. Which is better, more or little? More. Good answer. Easton, you're getting out of school. Which is better? More days off of school or little days off, less days off of school? More days off school. Yeah, there you go. Speaking as a student who loves school but enjoys days off. Very good. Okay. But I want you to think about this. What's better as a church body? More gifts or less gifts? More. Okay? That wasn't I was hoping that wouldn't be too difficult. Let's try this together, okay? And you can all answer me at the same time. As a church body, would it be better to have more gifts or less gifts of a church? Absolutely more. And here's the deal. Right now, there's about 175 gifts in this room to use for the glory of God. Not our glory, but his glory. Amen? So let's pause for a second and ask what we're missing here. Okay? Here's the deal. We celebrate Acts chapter two, and we look at Acts chapter two, verses forty two and on, and we sit there and we say, Wow, that is that is such great stuff, and man, I I wish we could be just like them, you know. The fellowship, the devotion to prayer, and the the breaking of bread and and the biblical teaching, and you know, we can sort of model ourselves after that, but let me remind you of something. If you continue to read on in Acts, they had problems. People couldn't share. And if you read all the other books in the New Testament, you know what those letters were written to? To churches who were struggling. In Galatians, people weren't thinking right. In in Corinthians, they had a sexual mess. And so these, these men write these letters to these churches saying, okay, church, you're struggling. Get it on here. Let's get straight with God's word. Please read it. Please understand it. Hear the correct teaching. So the early church wasn't, you know, it was, it was great, that's where it started, but it had its problems too. So I want you to understand this. For us to sit there and say, I wish we could be just like them, okay? That's great modeling, but you know what? You know who God's called us to be? The church that he's called us to be today. He's not asking us to be the early church. He's asking us to be the now church. He still wants us committed to biblical teaching. He still wants us breaking bread and having fellowship he still wants us devoted to prayer but we don't have to sit there and compare ourselves to other saints god wants you where you're at right now to be the church for him the group of believers did not live in some kind of spiritual fantasy land untouched by sin and weakness i don't know a lot of times we sit there and think oh if i could just be back with the disciples they struggled with sin just like you and i you know, the, the point of their example is not primarily to, to make us dwell on their strengths, but God's strength through them. And the Holy Spirit caused the message of Christ to work through them. And he wants to do that today with us. Worship team, would you please come forward? I want to ask you this question as they're coming up here. The same spirit who lived in that first century with the, moved among the, the first Christian church is, is here today. God's given you a gift. And as we focus the next three, four weeks on what this church is about and where we're going, I want us to understand to think about how is the Holy Spirit working through this church? What do we need to be praying for? What do we need to get better at doing? Let's not measure our growth on numbers, on offerings, on buildings, on programs. Those are all good things, but let's not make that our measuring stick. Let's ask ourselves, how are we doing growing spiritually through our time in devotion to God, in prayer, in biblical reading, in gathering with other believers? How are we doing with loving God and loving others? As we do those things naturally, guess what? We, we, we might add some more people here to this church and an offering might go up. We might have to get another building or who knows. You know, those things might naturally happen. It's nothing to fear. That's just something that's really cool that could happen as a result of us being biblically obedient to what God's calling us. Amen? stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that we could look back at scripture and look in Acts and, and see how the first church started. What an incredible thing. And then what a reminder that you know they weren't perfect. Sometimes, Lord, I think we, we compare ourselves back to the Bible and say, I oh, wish I could be as strong as them. Lord, what if what if some of those disciples are looking down from heaven right now at our church and saying, I wish I could be like them. Maybe not. I don't know. Lord, I'm I'm not saying we're there because we're not. Lord, you know that we've we've got some growing to do in this church. We've got some growing to do in this church, and that's exciting. Because Lord, we haven't arrived yet. It's fun to grow because that means we're going to get stretched a little. We're going to learn. We get to celebrate a lot of new things that we discover just as a child learns a lesson in school and they get in and their, their eyes light up and it clicks, or the first time they see something outside and they learn something, how, maybe how a flower opens up or how a bird flies and it's amazing to a child. Lord, as we learn spiritual things, I pray that our eyes light up, our hearts light up as we learn more about you. Lord, I ask that your spirit just moves through this church body, that we will be excited about wanting to continue our adventure with you and growing with you, that we will become more focused, Lord, and saying, you know what? I need to pray more. Lord, I want to grow more, so I'm going to to get in your your word more. Lord, show me how I can use my gift you've given me for your kingdom. Help me to connect with other people in this church. And Lord, it's not just true north. It's the other churches in this community and in this state. People we know that that attend other churches. Let us connect with them too. Let's be an encouragement to them and to one another. Thank you, Lord, that we can be part of an incredible thing. Lord, we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We want to share it with others. Help us to live in a way that honors you in doing that. In our name we pray.